0: Social distancing classrooms, even larger classrooms, on buses and everything from bus drivers to buses, the the, the actual bus.
1: Republicans seek to
2: take control of the House of Representatives.
3: Republicans are going to retake both the House and Senate.
2: A liberal MSNBC host warning Democrats about the potential for a red
3: wave. Do we have any sort of canary in the coal mine type indications of where we may be headed on that front?
2: Fox News is calling the Virginia governor's race.
3: For Republican Glenn
1: Youngkin. You and I have a rendezvous with destiny. We'll preserve- it's the bus drivers and the bus and the bus. I mean, so we all know Joe Biden's not all the way there. But I'm very interested to hear his theory on how we can socially distance on, on a bus. Now, how bus how drivers exactly does that work? And the bus. Yeah. Yeah. And the bus drivers,
4: you know? Yeah, he really nailed it all there. Like, he got
1: it. He got it. <laughs> My guess is, you know, they just, they hand Joe Biden a pudding. They let him watch Sesame Street. The <laughs> wheels on the bus go around. He's like, I got a plan, folks.
2: <laughs> Welcome to the Ruthless Variety program. It's a good Thursday afternoon. If you're watching CNN, undoubtedly, uh, you are watching nothing but January 6th coverage is what, you, what they do. And we've explained last week why they
1: do that. Yeah, it's basically for them, like, their Super Bowl. They, like, when they sent that tweet out last year on, what, January 7th, 2021, where they're like, yesterday was our highest rated day, we were up, like, 56%. I wonder why they don't talk about anything else.
2: Oh, it's crazy. It's amazing. It was our highest rated day, so let's try to squeeze as much blood out of that stone as we possibly can, which is basically what they and their Democratic Party have done ever since. Listen, we'll talk about all that and more, but we got a great show in front of you, including, by the way, we are joined by the legendary Dr. Oz today.
1: Excellent. Like we said, this is, Ruthless is becoming the first stop. You know, if you're running for office, you come on Ruthless, you state your case, and the people hear you. It's, the, it's every primary in the country, every election in the country, candidates
4: know. Yeah, and he's running for Senate in Pennsylvania. He's
1: running
2: for Senate in Pennsylvania. Mm-hmm. What we've said is in these competitive Senate primaries, we're going to try to interview as many as, as we can. And the people who have the capability of winning will come on the program. We'll talk to them. We're going to provide it to all the voters out there. In and in, in, we'll do that in the next month or so. Right. And, and you all can listen and I, look, there's a lot of campaigning that goes involved, but I feel like when you come on the program, you can make an
1: educated choice. Right. I think so. I think that's, that's what we're here for. Well, it's
4: the only place where candidates, Republican candidates can come on and state their case without getting boxed in into some bullshit liberal media narrative, and they get 30 seconds to defend themselves. So instead, we have a little bit of fun. They get to tell you who they are, and we try to have as many of, of them on as we can. Yeah, I mean,
1: this exactly. isn't CNN or right. NYT where... We can have Republican candidates on. We won't be like, so why do you hate democracy? Democracy!
2: You democracy. <laughs>
1: um, okay. Let's
2: start with, wait, hold on. Before we get into the five stars, are where are we on the merch? Do we have, I, like, I want to talk about, uh, I've ordered a couple of
1: things on merch. Okay. I, I got my beanie. I'm very pleased with the ruthless beanie especially, like it? especially as cold as it's been lately oh yes you have to wear that beanie
2: dude that thing is legit yeah and it, I mean it's seriously legit I mean like
1: I, I really feel like easy when I'm wearing it
2: I, w- <laughs> I went heavy on the on the summer gear so I'm now getting re-equipped but where are we we have we have like uh, the yeah, we, beanie we, well we got
4: the-, the hoodie too you well, know hoodie. so 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 yeah. if you know if you're cold you get a little chill in the air you get that hoodie um, and you get that beanie and then, you know what, go ahead and get yourself a coffee mug, get a nice warm cup of Joe yeah. and you're all set. We're, we're
1: all set. What's the, uh, what's the address?
4: It's store.ruthlesspodcast.com. There's also a long sleeve tee, which I really like. Yeah, know, it is there's a nice. couple of the colors there. It's, that's, it's good stuff. It's a soft tee. It's a soft tee.
1: I love the beanie so much.
2: So, um, listen, we, we thought we were going to make a couple of big, like super big announcements here. Mm-hmm. We're gonna save them for Tuesday.
1: Yeah, it's and, and when we say this is a big announcement, it is humongous. Humongous. This is this is a very uh, well. I, I, I'm not gonna spoil it. It's, I don't, it's don't, a big. It's a big announcement. Folks. Don't
2: spoil a thing. We've got two, not one, yeah, but two incredibly big announcements coming up, like changing, like major, serious. Stuff we're going doing on. serious stuff.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I can't believe it's it's been what like it's a year and some change, and we're already
4: pulling this kind of stuff. The, on. the horse fighting podcast is going to do some serious <laughs> stuff. Yeah, <laughs> we are, we are. I love it.
2: All right, so let's get in. You want to get into some five stars? Love
4: it, love right. it. Smug, you want to take the first one? Absolutely. So the first five star review is from
1: JMM270. Every day is Thanksgiving. Every Tuesday and Thursday, I wake up an extra hour early and sit in darkness and silence. Oh, I, I know this. I don't immediately pull up the podcast. No, this is too good, and I need to pregame it. <laughs> I love it. Silent mental prep for metaphorical violence about to ensue. From shoving people in lockers to exposing hot takes, one must have an iron stomach. The program is what keeps the elite up at night. From live dark money exposure to animal facts, Big Zoo doesn't want you to know. A red wave is imminent. (laughs) Every day is Thanksgiving, and, brother, Thanksgiving is about winning. Dudes rule, keep the faith, hold the line, and own the list. Love it. Love it. Love
4: Love it. it. JMM270. Fantastic. Dunks? Okay, we got one here. Uh, One Cheap Mama, Uh, she writes, Intelligent, informative, and hilarious. I've been with the program from the beginning when Smug first announced it on Twitter, and the fellas have more than lived up to the expectations. The caliber of guests is unlike anywhere else in media. The knowledge that they bring is unmatched, and their energy is that of an army of monkeys seeking canine revenge in the streets of <laughs> India. Awesome oh, reference. Yeah. One, of, one of my favorite segments we've awesome ever done. Reference. I'm a homeschooling mom from the Tulsa area. God bless you for yeah. doing it. Yeah. Uh, and I listen... With my teenage son, you fellows are... I apologize for some of the language. (laughs) Hope your teenage son uh, is okay with that. Uh, You fellows are educating the next generation of Minions. Uh, Keep bringing those bangers and we'll keep listening. Krista. Don't... uh, Thank you.
1: Don't apologize. (laughs) Don't apologize. Homeschooling in Tulsa, that's probably one of the finest learning institutions in America you could be at right now. 100% 100% Good for you, Krista
2: But but I want to come back Let's not apologize
4: Okay, I'm not going to apologize
2: This is an educational experience Through and through, guys. Right,
4: let's double down
2: You can't You <laughs> simply cannot enter The American society With a sheltered view Of this I, world
1: uh, that's right. I, I, I love the story Of uh, Ashbrook When we get back from uh, Christmas and New Year's <laughs> and such. And he's like, my mother listens to the show. She came up to me and she was like, Willie Nelson? The, <laughs>
2: Willie, the Nelson Willie Nelson I'm joke. I'm wearing the Willie Nelson <laughs> joke, but I got to tell you, it was funny as hell. It was.
0: It's great. Dude, it is the- a great joke. <laughs> on that on that front, I got another five star. You got another? Let's I, hear it. I got, I got another five star. Oh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> this is from H.G. Hawkins. Fellas, I've been listening since day one and I've always been a fan of the program, but I must say I've never really, it's never really fully spread its wings until a certain sultry Cincinnati boy began to be a more regular host.
2: I feel like like
1: he served it it up for himself. (laughs) 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 H.G. Hawkins.
4: It
0: wasn't
1: like uh, Ashbrook's mother. Yeah, he
4: alley-ooped himself. I like that. (laughs) The variety
0: program pumps me up, makes me laugh, and makes me think I can take on animals and have no business being on the same planet with any of them. Thanks for your hard work and keep it up.
2: That had nothing to do with Willie Nelson.
0: <laughs> that's that's a full fan, right there. <laughs> uh, and you know what? You know who he loves. He loves the program. He
4: loves he, the he program. Loves the show. He loves the program. He, he loves, loves Smash the variety. And he he lo- loves the program. He loves the variety. Well, we all love Smash.
2: Well, we got a lot of variety on the program for sure.
4: Yeah.
2: Um. Let's get into the business, huh? Let's do it. So this week in D.C., a lot of conversation about ending the filibuster. Do we have? Look, I don't know if whether or not this has fallen off the soundboard or if this is something that is like uh, something we only uniquely put on the soundboard, but is there any chance, and I mean any chance, that we can find Our Lady? The
4: filibuster! It's broken!
2: Anyway, uh, Schumer posts uh, the disastrous Build Back Brandon bill. Has decided that he's turning back, as we discussed on uh, the Tuesday episode, towards voting, quote unquote, voting rights, which is complete nonsense, but it requires Democrats to end the filibuster. Well, what's been very clear since the very beginning is that Joe Manchin and Kirsten Sinema have said for now a year that they're not going to be ending the filibuster. So they keep surfacing this conversation, and the media dutifully yeah. goes out and asks, repetitively all of these people like oh well, what about now right what about now will you end the filibuster and like they've had the same position for nine months can you imagine a conservative in the same situation who's held a position for a period of months where they feel the need to badger them over and over and over and over
1: again about whether they're going to change their mind it's unbelievable and you know what i Uh, A part of me likes it because you remember how you had all these insane lib left-wing activists that were, like, jumping on Manchin's car and, like, trying to get on his houseboat and being absolute psychopaths.
4: For filming cinema in the bathroom.
1: Yeah. Like, they're like, maybe if we make these people hate us, they'll do what we ask them to. (laughs) And so you see the same way that, like, the Dems are, like, they use this filibuster thing as kind of like a reset. When they fail, they're like, "Uh, okay, folks, uh, we we have to pass this like Voting Rights Act quote, which is actually just federalizing elections to take away from the fact that we can't get Build Back Brandon done. Right, like we don't have the votes there.
4: It's a cope for their base. That's exactly what it's a it is. Mean, what for it reveals
2: their base. is the theater of it all. Right, right. Chuck Schumer is for a calendar year they have talked about the fact that they're not going to do this. They're not going to do it. Right, right. They've been asked. Months and months and months of conversation about whether they're going to do it. And he continues to act as though he doesn't hear it. He writes a letter on Monday to his conference. Let me be clear. January 6th was a symptom of a broader illness, an effort to delegitimize our electoral process.
4: Which is fucking brother. insane. That is insane.
2: And the Senate must advance systematically Uh, systemic democracy reforms to repair our republic or else the events of the day will not be an aberration. They'll be the new norm.
4: These people spent four years delegitimizing President Trump, saying he was basically a a Russian puppet uh, who the election was stolen from Hillary Clinton. They've done this every election for president that Republicans have won back since 2000. And now to sit here and say that oh, it's Republicans that are delegitimizing our election process, and that means we need to go ahead and remove the filibuster. Yeah,
1: they they had nothing to say when people who were involved in that dossier are, like, getting charged. They have nothing to say about undermining elections then. When for years they're pushing this, like, bullshit conspiracy theory about Russia, Putin has taken over our elections. Nothing to say when it actually turns out that was all completely made up, undermined faith in our elections— Oh, but now all of a sudden, oh, our democracy's under attack. I mean,
2: it's complete nonsense. I saw an interview from Yamish. Mm-hmm. Remember Yamish? Oh, from NPR.
4: Yeah. 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 But I, or, th- yeah.
2: I think now she's doing some MSNBC ah, stuff. Yeah. I don't know. I mean, she's all over the place. Anyway, Yamish was the person that, like, journalists review. Oh, how brave Yamish asking all these brave questions. Yamish said. That she talked to a, a number of Republicans, and it turns out that their focus on election reforms are reforms that can help win them the majorities. There you go. Oh my gosh. Do you think, Yamish, do you think for a second that HR1, S1, the top, top possible thing on the Democratic agenda is entirely related to what you just said on the Democratic <laughs> side?
4: Are you, like, at incredible. all intellectually curious about why the Democratic Party is pushing for this one piece of, ele- of of legislation ahead of the midterm elections that maybe they think it might benefit them? Weird. Oh, weird. Oh, it's, weird. Out of the good- it's out of the goodness of their heart. They just want Clearly. drop boxes all over the place to help out Republicans. That's what they want.
2: That's what they want. <laughs> they want to make sure they get... So, I, like, I come back to the fundamental question. When they talk about voting rights, voting rights, and I mean this sincerely, think... In your core, who is it that currently doesn't have
4: voting rights? Who's being disenfranchised?
2: That is going to be advantaged by what Democrats are trying to do. Who is that? Nobody. Zero. zero. Yeah. There's there's literally zero Americans.
0: I guess I guess my question is if 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 voting is so messed up um, for Democrats. Is is the president of the United States a Democrat or a Republican? No, I think... Turns out it's a Democrat. No, I mean, I I mean it's... I see.
1: Honestly, I, in my heart, feel it's a total coincidence that the party that controls the House, the Senate, and the White House wants to federalize elections because they want to save democracy. <laughs> is that right? Yeah. I mean, you know, what else could it be? Are you
0: sure? I mean, can you... Is... is do the Democrats control the House or so, do the Republicans?
1: You know, according to Wikipedia, we the Democrats control the House. They control the Senate. They control the White House. And I think it's an absolute coincidence that they want to federalize elections.
2: <laughs> <laughs> that is totally shocking. Can you believe this? Right? It? it is shocking. I think it's a coincidence, guys. Oh, now is the time, I guess. Yeah, I
1: mean, you know, through the entire history of our country, states have been responsible for elections. But I think it's just a coincidence that when one party controls the government completely, they just want to federalize it out of the goodness of their
4: heart for fairness. Well, it, what you got to do for fairness, for yeah. for fairness, and Mike. for what, democracy, what, what you got to do for fairness is you got to be a Democrat who looks at um, you know the election in Virginia this year, the off off year gubernatorial, mm-hmm. where you had unprecedented turnout in an off year, huge huge turnout, and the Republican won, and you got to say. That's not the type of democracy we like. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah,
2: Exactly. <laughs> totally. We don't
4: like that kind of, That state's do- democracy isn't democracy.
2: We also don't love the 2016 version of <laughs> democracy. <laughs> I mean, here's the thing is... The 2004 <laughs> democracy is also super shitty. Super as was shitty. The 2000- yeah,
4: Ohio was stolen. Remember, they said that. Yeah, but it worked in 20-
0: 2008? Yeah, yeah, Yeah,
1: it's funny. Sometimes it works. Sometimes the democracy works. Yeah, you know, I I mean, in two thousand eight, I think democracy worked apparently, and apparently in two thousand twelve, democracy worked. Democracy has this
4: problem: like it doesn't work, and then it works, yeah, and then it doesn't work, and then it works.
1: But it has nothing to do with party,
2: right? No, 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 no. It only just uh, like it comes up coincidentally. Yeah,
1: and 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 that was I I saw a, a great tweet on Twitter when. Uh, this guy said, apparently democracy is so fragile, uh, Dems want to save it by making sure we can't have a two-party system. That's what it comes down to. Is They're like, our democracy is way too fragile to allow Republicans to have a voice. That's what all this, all this garbage boils down to. That's what it boils down, they down to. They just want to make it one-party rule permanently. I'm
2: going to throw the script out here, fellas. I think this is the issue that everybody wants to talk about because, honestly, if you're looking at TV or you're looking at your newspaper, what you're seeing and encountering is all the January 6th stuff. Yep, which, right. I don't want to diminish January 6th in and of itself and, and try to pretend like it didn't exist. That's not what we do here. What I'm trying to tell you is why they think it's a seminal moment. Mm-hmm. Right? They believe that this is the only pathway to convince middle America the Republicans are unfit for office. They believe it's the only possible thing that they can do. They want everybody to ignore the last nine months of what's happened under the Biden administration, in diminishing the quality of life for the American people, ruining the economy, ruining foreign policy, opening our borders, absolutely crushing our foreign policy, all of those things
1: are irrelevant because if you just look back, this is a moment in time that they had the greatest I mean, here's the thing is, so right now we're at a point in this country where we are hitting a record number, a record, all-time record, of people... Getting cases of COVID, of hospitalizations, and this is when Trump handed over to Biden multiple vaccines. We're still hitting record numbers, and and Biden ran on "I'm going to shut down the virus. I'm not going to shut down the economy." So, given this situation, what's what what, what what's our president? What is the Democrat Party concerned with? Oh, uh, let's go back to uh, January 6. Let's talk about what happened a year ago. Yeah, let's do some big build-
4: performative thing about January 6 instead of actually tackling any of the problems that you were elected as president to solve none of them he's done he's done he's done none of them and 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 to to the other point there holmes like i'm kind of glad they're doing it to be honest with you i'm glad because because terry mccullough tried to run this play he ran this play and he fucking lost yep he lost in virginia yep you know you lost in Virginia, dude. Running the January sixth. His
1: whole playbook was like, "Democracy will be destroyed if you elect a Republican." Yeah, and the Lincoln
4: in the Lincoln Project is out there with tiki torches, trying to pretend like they're white supremacists and all this stuff. Dude, they play this playbook. Great point. They get smoked. Yeah, they, they get, smoked. get smoked. And that's what we do here on the Variety program. Is we, we peel back the layers of the onion and we tell you what to look forward to. I mean And real- if this is the playbook that they play and they want to have this conversation, they're gonna get boat raised. I mean, because
1: they're getting they're they're getting pulled around by the nutjobs
4: in right. the party exactly. who are like, hey guys, this is what we need to talk about. Which is the wildest thing about the whole about all of it, smug, is like Joe Biden got elected out of that primary ignoring all that shit. Yep. He he yep. got elected out of that Democratic primary by saying Twitter is bullshit all of you you know leftists are full of shit and and i'm going to run as the you know the the left of center the guy who was going to fix COVID, guy who's going to fix COVID. That's what he ran on. Yep. And then they got into the White House, and all they did is they hired a chief of staff. Because Ron who on Twitter too much. He retweets <laughs> shit all day. He retweets, and, and their Holy whole policy shit, the is guided is by Twitter. Claim. Dude, I would love if the problem is Ron Klain is way too online and is fuck this administration. I don't know how. <laughs> I, I don't know how the offline, you know, let Joe be Joe presidential campaign became the very online. Ron Klain White House. It is absurd. That's interesting. It's absurd.
2: Completely absurd. And the fact that this administration doesn't have anything
4: else. They don't. Yeah. They don't have anything else. Right. And we talked about this on Tuesday's episode, dude. I mean, they're grasping at straws. Like like with the stuff with Joe Biden and big meat. Always going to stop, you know, meat producers and 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 they're colluding to raise prices not like all the free shit he gave everyone for a year might be contributing to it it's all just bait and switch bullshit it is it's just it it, and, and and with hr1 january sixth is the same sort of sleight of hand where they're trying to use january 6 to take over federalized elections because they're going to fucking lose like they lost in virginia and they try to set up this this binary choice right Right. It's always a false choice.
2: It's it, this binary choice where somehow it is that the 70 million, 74, 75 million Americans who vote Republican are somehow the ones who are like storming the Capitol. Right. Right. Are some, somehow the ones who are complicit with a point of view that nobody agrees with. I mean, nobody agrees with. Right. I mean, there there, are, there is literally less than nobody. Who thinks that January sixth was a good thing?
0: No, nobody, nobody. And and do you know what they they do? They gloss over what happened the summer before. Two thousand cops the thing. There you were go. hurt. Twenty people were killed. A hundred and forty United States cities were ransacked. A billion
4: dollars in damage. And and you alert. know what they don't talk about? And, Ka- at all. and Kamala Harris is promoting the bail fund that let out people who violent, violently attacked people and reoffended after getting bailed out yeah. that's what kamala harris did yep right that, and they're concerned about violence
2: and and they're the ones who are concerned about our democracy yeah it's just complete bullshit right it's complete nonsense so w- it, do me a favor as you're listening to this trot just flip i know it's tough and i'm not it's even tough. sure if your tv gets it
4: just do it but
2: but like <laughs> just flip the cnn for one second and read the Chiron. okay i'll give you five seconds Look what it says. Can you believe that? This is the only thing that matters to these people. That is the only thing. It's not about improving the lives of the American people
1: whatsoever. And I think it's so telling is is the other day when he had Joe Biden go out and he was like, oh, prices of food have gone up by 25 percent. Who cares? Straight up. I mean, that's like a Marie Antoinette, let them eat hamburger. Who cares if it costs 25% more for you to put food on the table for your kids? I don't care. I'll just have Hunter sell another painting. I'll be fine, folks. That's what he's saying. And then you have the White House chief of staff who's retweeting because he's way too online messages about how, uh, oh, this is just a rich person problem. This is just a rich person problem. That's that's what they think is – they don't care about what actual Americans are concerned with. They don't care about the supply chain is messed up. They don't care about uh, how much groceries cost. They care about, okay, what are the folks at our cocktail parties telling us? What are Ron Klein's friends on Twitter telling him? What did Jen Rubin say we should be worried about? There's a huge problem when the White House, you know, is worried about issues that Jen Rubin is putting up there and not that families are paying 25% more. There's a bunch of
2: people that want to get you boxed in this week into an everlasting conversation that nobody actually agrees with. But what Smug just said is what everybody agrees with, which is the reason they want to get you in that conversation in the first place. Right? So, listen, we got a lot of good stuff coming up. Conservatives are on the march. Don't take the bait. Don't take the bait. Don't take the bait.
4: We're on offense.
2: Um. Did you guys see the story about a man who is a seven-footer?
1: The, the first-class thing?
2: Yeah, yeah, yeah. So so this dude who's seven feet tall, according to Fox News, was bumped up to first class because he was too tall for, for coach. Um, and let me just read. A man traveling from North Carolina to Georgia discovered that he was too tall to fit in the plane when he boarded the flight. Uh, while this meant that he couldn't take the flight as originally booked, it actually ended up being good news for him. Bo Brown, who stands seven, seven foot one inch tall, had to switch flights to a different plane uh, and ultimately got bumped up to first class.
1: Well, uh, I'm mixed on. How this. do we feel about this? So, so actually, I'm torn. Yeah, smug. You're a, you're a tall guy. Yeah, I mean, so. so. I don't like people who are short. I don't think men should be under six feet tall. Um, and, I, and honestly, I move the bar to six one because there's a lot of guys out there lying. You know, uh, it's terrible. Um, I, I think number one, the DMV should make everyone stand in front of one of those like height lineup things, like a police lineup yeah. thing. Yeah, and like that's the how thing you they have
2: in the uh, in the in the
1: door of and,
2: a. And, and so store. that's in
4: your picture. That's in your picture exactly. on your ID. Yeah. But so, but everyone, I mean, uh,
0: honestly, when you walk down a jetway, the steward is genuflex. He says, "Look, you're very tall. What can I do for you, sir?"
1: And, and so, the, the, this is the other thing: is 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 I am one hundred percent supportive of, you know, normal people shouldn't be forced to sit or be around short people. You know, short people are very <laughs> unbelievable. They're sinister folks. Like you know, you always see the, the short guys are the sinister ones in history. Yeah, but also you don't, you know the problem with first class is the reason half the reason you're paying well, actually all the reason you're paying is so you're not with the zoo you know it's with the mayhem. zoo it's absolutely unbelievable mayhem. you know folks you get on a southwest flight and it's absolutely bananas there's kids going crazy there's people punching each other it's you're not paying like it's not a luxurious thing it's like a self-preservation safety kind of thing
4: <laughs> so the this. thing is, is is that like if they're Is just, this a radio free tom if tweet they're, <laughs> if
1: they're letting someone in from the zoo <laughs> it's like a safety <laughs> issue at that point for me like tall or not so I'm torn on it, personally.
2: <laughs> how do you feel about the fats?
1: <laughs> well, look, I think... I, <laughs> how do you
2: feel about
4: the fats? I just want to know. <laughs> Same
1: thing. I mean, you know, if you can afford a wider seat, you afford a wider seat, you know? That's, that's how we do it. Everyone has to prioritize what they do.
4: Look, I think if you're this tall, like, like, a lot of our world isn't actually meant for people this tall. Like, they actually do have to deal with a lot of bullshit. They do. They do. I'm all for it. I am one hundred percent bumping this. them up. Yes. Really? No, I'm not. No, I'm bumping not them up. Me.
2: So here's where I come from, dude. It's right? tough. Here's where I come from. In the Midwest, we basically apologize twice before we introduce ourselves. <laughs> right? We roll into a, a, a. It doesn't matter if the seat has like nails in it. We sit on there. We thank them for the seat, and then we just and then we just put, grin and bear it for the whole entire. I I am not paying, and I'm not interested in paying for anybody else's comfort. I'm just dealing with what the circumstances are in front of me. Why is it that somebody who may be tall or fat or something else has to be accommodated in a way that I'm not simply
1: because of uh, their birth? What was? Hold, hold up. What, what what is the airline? What's the airline? Because it says this is Southwest News Service, but there. But, but I know for a fact Southwest has no first what,
4: class. What what about a what about a compromise?
1: You, okay, you, let's hear that.
4: You get them into bulkhead where you get that extra leg room.
1: Well, but don't they have to book that?
2: I mean, don't you think that that's something that like you have to. You just price ahead? it into your
4: life. Yeah, you're like I am super tall.
2: That's it's, uh, it's uh, my thing,
1: right?
4: <sighs> yeah, I get it.
1: You know, listen, if someone's getting bumped off from coach for being too tall, give them the same class. Just throw them in the cargo. They're in there with the suitcases. It, it, that, yeah.
4: Put them down with the dogs. <laughs> the dogs. That's what you're saying, <laughs> George A. Hassan. <Mirosan.
1: laughs> get underneath. <laughs> Get underneath. <laughs> I mean, you sign up for coaches' steerage already. You know, it's, it's animals yeah. and wild people. I'm
4: just picturing like Dikembe Mutombo back by the bathroom with his legs up high by his chest. And I feel bad for that guy.
1: You know, shout out to Dikembe. You know, he doesn't even fly commercial. So, yeah, hell yeah. I don't think that would be a problem. But if you're seven feet tall and you're still going with coach, listen, that's a you problem. You shouldn't, you shouldn't put that on everybody else. If
2: you haven't figured out how to make millions (laughs) of dollars. You're so tall. You're
4: so, right, right. You know what? Actually, you guys have convinced me. No. Yeah. Screw them. They don't get first class. If you're over seven feet and you haven't figured out a way to get into the low post and put in some layups, you're not getting first class. There
2: you go. There you go. There you go. That's the official position of the Ruthless Variety program. Let's go on to COVID. Um Guys, you have, I mean, look, I don't even know where to start with this. I saw a whole bunch of news this week, starting with the fact that all of a sudden the CDC was saying you can't take one test that they've recommended for nine months Uh after you have COVID. You now have to take another test. You're not sure. I mean, like, literally there's nothing left that hasn't been contradicted in this situation. But now my unbelievable favorite Is that somehow the media has front paged a discussion? I'm not I'm do guys, I'm not joking about this. They have front paged a discussion about how the Southeast
1: is the firestorm of COVID. You gotta love it. Like as we are speaking, New York City is in such dire straits right now where they don't have enough people in the fire department who don't have COVID. To be able to uh, you know work at full capacity, the subways aren't able to operate at full capacity because so many people have COVID that work there, and and they're like, you know what, Desantis must apologize. It's unbelievable. The the, the media, like the
4: meme became real. The meme became real because like everybody, conservatives would say, you know, uh, when they see the New York cases, you know, going up, people would quote tweet it and they'd say Desantis must apologize. Totally right, and like it was a meme, and now the media was like. You know what? No, actually, he needs it.
2: Which is, which is so, no, seriously. But what's so amazing to me about this whole thing is that you, you think that like media can be shamed into something. It turns out that they actually their, their ecosystem is so small and so narrow. Right. They actually don't even hear this. Right. Like we've been making fun of them, laughing our asses off for the better part of the year at how they've mischaracterized. How the virus
1: operates, right?
2: And yet they're still going. They're doing the exact so, same thing they did last it's year. It's absolutely shameless. Something
1: I, I I have to read is, and, and our listeners will know this is how we've been hammering home that the media demonized people who had COVID as an outgroup, like yeah. a, an outgroup, and as a moral, fi- uh, like uh, it's a problem, you know, with you getting uh, COVID in the sense that. Wow, you must not have been doing, quote, the right things, you know? Right. And so uh, Chris uh, Saliza, yeah, exactly. CNN, uh, I don't even know what his job title is, just among the clown troop over there. (laughs) Uh, Chris Saliza says, for months and months, no one I came into contact with admitted they had COVID, not neighbors, not coworkers, not friends, no one. Uh, except that with Omicron surging and lots and lots of people now getting it, I found some of these same people telling me they had it last fall or the start of the pandemic or whatever, which is fascinating to me because it suggests that they were embarrassed or scared to say that they or their family had it before. Why? Probably not one reason for everyone, honestly. But I do think societally, we unknowingly turned having COVID into some sort of judgment on your character. We said this. Oh, this. We said this. We said, not, this. We said not, this. Not the media. Yes. Not the Dems trying to be like, Oh, my God, this is we have to other these people if you don't. I mean, it's we have unbelievable. literally literally talked about this since the beginning of COVID. Right. So it says like getting COVID was a sign you weren't being responsible or careful enough not being a good member of society, which is like their whole game plan. Like the Biden administration puts out this statement, which is basically like, hey, guess what, uh, red states, we hope you all die Merry Christmas enjoy covid. Right. It's unbelievable. But right. dude, if, unbelievable. You, if you
2: take a step back what it means is all of these people who are covering covid, mm-hmm. providing you inf- news and information on covid, have a sympathetic viewpoint of the people in this administration where their social circles don't encounter it.
1: Damn.
2: Right? That's
1: next level. That didn't even occur to me.
2: That's what that's what this is all about. These people don't operate in the real world. They've been sitting in their basement operating remotely because they're, you know, six and seven figure jobs don't require them to go out and do the hard work that everybody else is doing, picking up trash, delivering meals, working in restaurants, doing all the stuff that regular Americans are doing. And it just now occurred to them just now. It's incredible. Occurred to them. Oh, I can get this too.
1: That is wild.
2: I can get this too. Right. It's not just the dumbs. It's not just the southerners.
4: They're
1: like, listen, I did everything right. I it's I'm not a just journo, pe- and I'm in Brooklyn, right. and I got my uh, you know
4: my delivery. It's from not t- you're right. That's what I was gonna say. How it's not just it? the people who gives me the Doordash. Yeah, you know, you know, you know those those poor saps who have to make my life livable while I sit in my apartment. You know, like Incredible. now it's possible for me to get it. What they're dealing with is a psychological issue of a narcissistic wound, as, as Freud would say, where now suddenly that their entire world. The moralistic nature of COVID has been has crumbled. They've created this edifice in their mind that only the poor's get it, only the stupid's, only the Trumps get it, right? And now they get it, and so they have to reconcile their entire worldview that they had for two years with reality. So now we change, and that's a deep narcissistic wound for people like
1: this. bro. My like worldview is like shattered, like. I showed up thinking we're just going to record a show. And we're getting like serious Hell yeah. knowledge yeah, over here. Dude, we, we threw the we looked at the script in like fifteen seconds and yeah, we threw it out. That we're is
2: just incredible. Talking. <laughs> but here is the I other thing. Let me that. just add a layer to this. Let me add a layer to it. What I'm seeing now, is schools. Yeah. Remember when we talked all about... Do you guys remember a month ago a New York Times magazine piece? Fucking pathetic About how Randy... What the fuck's her name? Weingarten. Weingarten. Yeah.
4: Secretly, she was the one trying to fight to reopen schools. She was the one. Absolutely. Pathetic. She she blocked me from pointing
1: out she was taking a private jet when all all American kids weren't allowed to go to school. And then I quote retweet and be like, so why are you taking a private jet if, like, you need more funding or whatever? Right. They've gotten, like, hundreds of billions of dollars. And they're like, no, we can't have school. She, she well, that's a the private point. jet.
0: She's a disaster. I mean, objective disaster. I mean, she's been the head of the union for maybe a decade or something. And, like, you know, you listen to teachers. I, I You know, everybody's got a different opinion. about. I think teachers should be paid more. Uh, and I think that that's been a, um, a cry of teachers teachers for 10 years and as long as she's been the head of the union they haven't haven't been paid more
1: well as inside the way teachers get paid more is if we have the money follow the kids and not the schools well, but but yeah, let's speaking but, of follow but, the money but this speaking is, of yes. follow the money where's the money so speaking of follow the money last where's march, the
0: money lebowski last, <laughs> yeah geez, it's a great point last much last march congress approved two trillion dollars trillion two trillion dollars in federal covid relief And schools promised they would open if they got the money.
2: But But but, can I pause you on this? Yep. So remember that the Biden administration had a choice when they came into power. They could have done something on a bipartisan basis that was very targeted that everybody agreed on that would be a, a serious help for parents that were serious about getting their kids back into school. And we all talked about that. Instead, they tried to do something on an entirely partisan basis that only funded Democratic constituencies. It's it, I mean to it, a remar- to a remarkable extent, and they did so. If you recall, entirely under under the rubric of this is what we need to get kids to, back into. to school. reopen schools.
0: Right, this is what's needed. This, yeah, is, this is the roadmap exactly. And so these, this, so some of these schools that said that they would reopen if we got the money are reneging on their promise. So like schools received 130 billion dollars from the federal stimulus package and and I think it's a fair question to ask what did they do with the money
2: I mean somebody somebody smarter than me has to do the math on 130 billion dollars to public schools in this country but something tells me you could rebuild almost every public schools. Seriously,
1: like you could have like nope. flying cars and like Westworld would be real like, for the Where of money. where the hell no. did this money go? No nobody is gonna object to spending
0: more money on schools. People are gonna be like, okay, well maybe that goes to the kid. Maybe that goes to kids. Kids getting smarter in America, we're gonna be China and or may, or, or maybe it goes to teachers who are trying to get paid a little bit more. No. It none none of it has gone to them. It's it's literally going to consultants And the Daily Wires, Luke Rosiak, who a lot of our listeners are familiar with this guy, he exposed a lot of what the school board was doing in Loudoun County, Virginia last month, two months ago. He uncovered some new research showing where all of this money went. It went CRT. Are you scared Get
2: fuck out of here. Are you kidding me?
0: And, and by saying CRT, what we actually mean is it goes to consultants who are experts in telling teachers, oh, we really know what CRT is all about, so we're going to come in and tell you, why don't you just give us a million dollars and we'll tell you how it goes. But, I mean, here's the thing. Americas have big hearts. They want to pay teachers more, but the money is not going to teachers' paychecks. It's going to consultants. And in this case, the consultants are getting millions.
1: I mean, so the money is going to this garbage that was that was supposedly like we were told, oh, this is going to go for like ventilation. Dude, systems. Right, yeah, they, they, and- they,
4: they told us it wasn't just COVID. I think everybody has to remember this is mm-hmm. that in 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 the late spring, early summer of last year in 2021, the teacher teachers unions line was schools have never been safe. We not just need this money to fight COVID. We're going to rehab these schools with better filtration so that there's less airborne pathogens, mold. Remember they were saying mold and all this sort of stuff. Insane. Sorry, I cut you off there.
1: No, but here – and no, it buttresses exactly what you're saying. So the fact that they said, oh, we're going to spend the money on this, and yet you see these photos. I saw it in Park Slope in New York. Kids out eating lunch, sitting on the ground in forty when it's, degree weather. It's forty degrees outside. Oh, I thought you guys had like a ventilation system. You're having kids eat, and these were little kids, like right, like babies, five year olds, eating when it's freezing cold, eating outside, sitting on the ground when the schools have taken untold billions of dollars for what. A scam
4: for a scam to set up a cottage industry of consultants who get paid millions of dollars to tell your kid that they're racist. And and you pay for this with your tax dollars. Listen,
0: listen, the Daily Wire reported that thirty two million dollars went for a quote curriculum equity initiative in Chicago, where I mean, you know, folks listening here know that uh, the union shut down schools two nights ago in Chicago uh, the Daily Wire reported the $24 million went to social-emotional learning in Milwaukee and, and $1.5 billion no, went bri- to st- implicit bias the, training in California.
2: Implicit bias training. The numbers, like it, for us, when you talk about federal government numbers, the numbers that you put out are are unbelievably obscene. The idea that you have a wealth transfer with B behind it to people who are pushing a social agenda in our school is unfathomable. It's unfathomable. The idea that none of this shit goes to the kids themselves, and that they're actually trying to 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 change a curriculum to teach people something that nobody else believes is completely insane.
1: Homeschool now. Homeschool now. Like the, this. This. Educational system is so broken the way that Dems and the unions have just taken it it's over and choice. turned it into I, a political I, instrument. School choice, and I, I, I get it. And the I, dollars need to follow the what, kids. What? Like this is it can't be repaired. In my opinion, the way like the, the, what, what Ashbrook just described is so obscene. The way that a billion, like billions of dollars, there are is being less wasted than ten smug?
2: There's less than ten percent of this country that believes in any of the shit that he just talked about, where billions were at were allocated. I mean this this is this is unbelievable it, that we live in a country that can even accomplish this without like a complete revolution it's,
0: it's not not only is it not going to the kids but like Literally, it's not going to the teachers. They haven't gotten a fucking
1: raise. You know what? And, teachers and, and haven't gotten shit. You know what? They, these people work I don't very, think, very hard. No, for the I, kids. I, I, I don't want the and, teachers to get the money. I want <laughs> no, listen. They, they, listen, teachers as long as, as the teachers support Randy the teachers' unions, does not. As long as the teachers support the teachers' unions who are playing them, they deserve it. You play stupid games, you get stupid prizes. I actually agree with that. That's what know, you
0: get. But man, That's what you get. They, teachers. They, a lot they, of them don't, don't have, a, a, choice. Don't have a, choice. a choice. They don't have a choice. They don't have a choice. union the was, union holds. The union holds. The union holds their insurance policy so that they're not sued by parents who are insane. There are a lot of insane parents out there. Teachers should get paid more. No, but this they is how we go. create.
2: I've, hold on, but this is also how we create insanity. I have, I have had. I mean, many, many, many friends and family members who've been teachers that that get sort of surrounded by this misinformation that unions provide for them. And what it has created that I've seen is a next generation, people that are, are my own contemporaries, that sort of are chip off the old block. They start to believe this shit that these unions have punctured into people's heads. And they start to believe the stuff that we're talking about. This is nothing short of pure insanity. Pure insanity. It's This is not... This is not like, oh, we have a disagreement about curriculum. If you're teaching critical race theory and you're using billions of dollars to do it, you you have no business in the education system it, whatsoever. I don't care. You should quit. The, we so we got to
1: create a private school system in America that like parents can fund using their tax dollars because I saw a lot of situations, a lot of examples during during the pandemic where parents would pull their money together and pay for essentially a tutor to be the teacher. And that worked with, and, and, and they said the results are so impressive especially compared to their contemporaries these poor kids who, who are being forced to learn by zoom who you see it's like I think by average a half a point GPA loss because all the teachers unions are forcing these teachers to teach by zoom listen and when we had that's the system we, that we right, need well and we, we, we had that school choice
4: it. we had that school choice episode on Ruth listen if you're listening right now and want to go back and listen to that it's fantastic. But one of the things that Tommy Schultz mentioned in there was the sort of, you know, compacts that you described, Smug, where, like, let's make the teachers entrepreneurs who, like, don't have to be under the thumb of the union and they can get the money that they deserve. Yep. Like, let's get there. And so I guess what,
0: what Michael is saying, it, it, it kind of goes to my point. There is a disconnect between the gigantic union bosses and the teachers who are in it for the right reasons. There are people who, since we were kids, were saying, oh, teachers should get paid more. Teachers should get paid more. And guess who gets paid more? Randy Weingarten gets paid more. Right. The teachers don't get paid more. And Randy Weingarten says, hey, teachers, if you want to get paid more, you need to teach critical race theory and and everything that these consultants that I, that are on my payroll are telling you to teach because it helps me and my, my and, you know my – uh, ideology. I, I guess
4: the last thing I would say on this is like, I am pro school choice. I'm pro homeschooling. I get all of that. I just don't want us to get black pilled on public education because there's a lot of parents out there who can't afford. I, man, pay I, twice. Went to, like, I went to. I went to. public school. I know what I mean. You know what I that's mean. why but, I, think
1: pub- I think the, the, the tax dollars got to go to the parents, and they got to follow. Their I'm all. Dad.
4: I'm all for it. I'm all. I'm all for it. I'm all for it. But there's, we, a, but we,
2: there's we, important to your point. There is an important part of community that goes into school
4: yes right yes and, whether and you like it or not whether
2: you like it or not
4: you can't just be a conservative and say oh well let's keep the schools closed because they're teaching critical race theory i hear you
2: i'll go somewhere else right. right that's what the rich guys say right the difference is that the society is divided further and further apart we, right. sh- we heard denisha Mer- merriweather yes talk about this in from her speech, own experience from her own experience and you found impoverished communities largely African-American in this country, that are dealing with public schools that are ruled by these unions, that it, it, it's not enough to be underfunded and undereducated, which we already know that they are. We now know it's more pervasive than that. Right. They're actually working to try to implement ideological standards that nobody in this country actually believes is true. Right. Like that, That's what they're and, doing and, with American and, tax and, dollars.
0: And they're forcing these teachers to... To say things that they don't necessarily believe and to get paid less than they actually deserve.
2: Yeah.
1: Yeah. Well, listen, I, I think mean, we I think let, we agree on that. Here, I, I want to close it with this thought. So we have the statistic that Congress approved $2 trillion for federal COVID aid to these schools. For $2 trillion, we could have given Elon Musk that money. He could have made Westworld real. <laughs> we could have sent the robots to teach at these schools and all our problems. Yeah, so. there you we might go. have your dinosaurs. I mean, you know, we could have made everything come Think
2: true. of what the dinosaurs could teach Think the about kids, it. Smug. Uh,
1: one thing I want to go over is, many folks are probably aware of this, Biden's approval has hidden all-time low oh no oh yeah oh, i so surprised all, all that money spent handouts to to the teachers unions and, and it still doesn't help but what's really great is uh uh another yet another kamala harris staffer uh has quit it says uh the new york post has a story says yet another kamala harris aide has joined the exodus of staffers leaving the vice president's office amid claims of turmoil and dysfunction Vincent Evans, the VEEP's deputy director of public engagement, has quit to take on a role on Capitol Hill. You know things are bad when you leave the White House for the Hill. When Duh. you're like, you know what, this is
4: Watch listen, your mouth. I've seen I've seen messes. <laughs> Watch, your an <laughs> Watch your mouth. This is an anti Capitol Hill talk here.
1: Watch your mouth on
2: the Capitol Hill talk. That's unbelievable.
1: So he's quit and and you know it's especially bad when even Jen Rubin is saying something is wrong. She tweets out when staff bails like this, you need a new chief of staff. I mean goodness like I'm when Jen Rubin is saying things are bad yeah but it's like man Kamala is that bad that she's, even terrible. Like, she's terrible
2: she's terrible but I, oh. I also love how they use she's basically just a, a, a conduit right it's like whoever sources are in the White House she'll just spit that out and you know like what? that that's the view of the West Wing it,
1: right it, right what, what this further reinforces my view is that uh Biden people and Harris people and from what I've heard from insiders Biden people, Harris people, they hate each other. And we all know Jen Rubin is basically out there just like throwing pitches for Ron Klain. So like the fact that she feels comfortable with this must mean that like the, the, the Ron Klain mind meld is there. And he's like, yeah, I hate Kamal Harris too.
4: <laughs> That's an I like that take. That's an interesting take. It's a good one. Like if she's comfortable enough to tweet it and Ron Klain tweets her all the time or retweets her all the time. Maybe that's reality. Oh,
1: maybe that's, that's listen, what
4: Listen, I wouldn't be
1: surprised if, 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 if it's it going to be Mayor Pete. Because, I mean, I don't think Biden is going to be able to run. And they know Kamal is not a winner. We got to say, fellas, should we play a game?
4: Yeah, let's play King of the Hill. Let's it's, go. Oh, it's Thursday, after all. Let's go. Um, so, Smug, you have our defending champion, that's Radio right. Free Tom. The one and only. Who are you bringing to the table today, Holmes? I think I'm going to go with Boot. Maximum boot. Ooh, the boot. Max boot. Wow. Okay. Well, let's go ringside. Ladies and gentlemen, your
0: attention, please. It's time for King of the Hill in the Red Corner. Fighting under his own door, our challenger, maximum war now, war forever, boo! And now, in the blue corner, fighting out of the Harvard Extension campus, our
1: champion, Radio Free Tom Nichols! I mean, I love the Harvard Extension thing. It is so just (laughs) emblematic of everything he stands for. This like faux elitism wrapped up in being a dick. I love it so much.
4: (laughs) Round one. Our defending champion has to go first. Radio Free Tom and Smug, let's hear it.
1: I want to. I want to so badly because his takes were incredible.
4: Are you going hot first? You oh. going, you're going with the hottest. I
1: mean, to be a, to be a connoisseur of Radio Free Tom is to live. Holmes is very worried. Is to right live now. for tweets like this. Okay. This is January third, eleven twenty-five p.m. This guy's up late at night, and this is what's on his mind. I'm having the most boring pre-retirement spending spree ever. A car for the missus. Upgraded home security automation. Mesh Wi-Fi. A new fridge. We might get really nuts and buy a new stove. Other men buy sports cars. I buy appliances and a new drill. Well, also Vegas ticks.
4: (laughs) He wants an award for being a man? (laughs) This (laughs) guy is
1: like, listen, I know... Everyone is struggling in this pandemic. There's a lot of people who
4: are in hospitals. That's not what he said. Right. There's a lot it was of just people. a projection, and also he's selling it. Let him I'm sell. I'm going. It. Ham. Let him sell it.
1: I'm going to buy the misses a car. We're going to Vegas. I, I
4: I I love what I love about this in the beginning. Can you read that? Just the first part again.
1: Absolutely. The first sense. I am having the most boring pre retirement Yeah, 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 yeah. Right. That's, that's, that's,
4: that's what I love. What I love is that he, that lead-in. Oh, it's so boring. Yeah. Now let me brag he, about he all this. He the stuff.
1: humble brag. He's yeah, too he, much it's of a dick.
4: such a humble brag. He's it's an incredible a hum, humble brag. Wow. That's He's
1: good like, stuff. He's like, listen, you know, we're, I'm keeping it small. I'm just buying the missus a car. We're redoing the house, going to Vegas. <sighs> At eleven thirty at night, this guy's trying to drop this.
4: Holmes Holmes is sitting here the whole time and he's just taking it in. And he's preparing to drop something.
2: Well, I think I'm just gonna go. I mean, look, the guy's an asshole. We you're not gonna reach
4: that. You're not gonna reorder. You're 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 going with what you got?
2: Mm, no, I did reorder. Okay. I did reorder. I did reorder. Okay. Um, I'm just going to go, like, look, Max Boot, Max Boot's not an elitist. I'm not going to play in that genre.
1: Okay. Yeah, he's a one-trick pony, but okay, go ahead.
4: Wow.
2: Hmm. Okay. Hmm. Hmm. Um. So he retweets somebody who's talking, who who's quoting Ronnie Jackson, the congressman from Texas, mm-hmm. who is talking about uh, Ukraine and the situation.
4: There. With Russia and whatever.
2: Right. Yeah. And he's you know, blaming Biden, obviously, for weakness right. that has resulted in the situation we have there. He retweets it by saying, whole lot of projection going on here. Biden wasn't the one elected president with the help of the Kremlin. <laughs>
1: <laughs> Hold not, on. That's Hold what on. I meant by one-trick pony. <laughs> Hold
4: on. No. So Russia could, could reinvade Ukraine and it would be Donald Trump's fault. Yeah. In Maximum Boots' mind it was <laughs> <laughs> so good
2: the lack of evolution though it's just like that's part of the magic
4: it is the magic it's dude. part of the magic you know what i do love it's like a team like a like a football team that's got a good running play and they're just going to run that counter all day. They're going <laughs> to run it. They're going to run it. They're going to run it. They, Car- and they, they haven't changed it. They haven't changed the play. Like, despite
2: all evidence to the contrary. Right, right.
4: right. <laughs> just keep running the play. <laughs> wow. That's something. Wow. These are um, these are two great takes. Uh, obviously, disparate sort of takes. Very different. different. Yeah, we've got a humble brag here. We've got a... Uh, Trump's responsible while Biden's president if Russia invades Ukraine take, which is next level. Hmm. Um, I really liked Radio Free Tom's take. I loved it. I love the humble brag of it. I just don't think it compete with what Maximum Boot wow. did just right okay. there. I'm sorry. I loved it. I loved it. And And, and as far as like. You know, misuse of the internet and and doing weird weird stuff with your your little diary session. It's incredible. It's great content. I think Maximum Boot takes round one.
2: It's just a hardcore take. It's just the. It's like it's like sort of the core of what is King of the Hill, right? Um, all right, so I got to come up with the number two, and I'm trying to figure out whether I'm going to put him
4: away. You here. want a knockout punch? I um, mean,
1: you're not going to get that because he's the one trick pony. We're going to hear the same thing again. First.
2: No, no. No, 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 sir! No, sir! He's got he's got dynamic, interesting takes. Um, so I, I think one of the things that I have found to be uh, the best is he's he's gotten into the COVID debate, right? So Max Boot has absolutely no; he's a foreign policy guy. But, but he's deeply Democratic establishment in the COVID debate. Yeah. Right. He's basically Jen Rubin in a lot of ways, which it, it provides a different layer. And he has retweeted uh, Sahil Kapoor, who has got this take about how uh, the governor of Colorado, Jared Polis, Democrat, has been sort of nuanced Right. He's, right. He's, he's separated himself from the Biden administration in terms of mandates and everything else. And he's hugely
4: popular. Right. He's, he, he has been the one Democrat to try to break this MSNBC liberal psychosis on COVID.
2: Right. Right. He retweets this and says Should political popularity really be the measure of which steps we employ to stop the deadliest pandemic in a century? Crazy not to require a mask plus full vaccination, in parentheses, in order (laughs) indoor public places given the current
4: state of the pandemic. I think it's a good measure in a democracy.
2: (laughs) (laughs) I think that is the measure of democracy. Isn't that what democracy is? Uh, That's what uh, democracy Political popularity. uh, yeah, Yeah, that's.
4: Yeah. Probably, probably pretty good. Yeah, it's definitely one I would I would track. Yeah, that's, whether people like the stuff we're doing.
1: Yeah, that's I mean it's that's what it is.
4: Wow, that's pretty good. I mean, I, no,
1: I mean that's pretty weak. But here we go. Oh. Yeah,
4: salt in
1: it. I, I think no, I mean this is this is This is beyond irony. This is the new thing for Tom Nichols.
4: Okay, usually, and we got a new wrinkle.
1: Yeah, usually you think he's like a, a hyper self aware elitist guy, but this is actually the rare gem from him where he lacks. Self-awareness to an unprecedented level. This is ten fifty-four AM, January fourth. Tom Nichols. One thing that we don't talk about enough is how the attention economy has allowed people of little talent but audacious cynicism to create a career. Oh, my a God. A paying job out of being horrible. We've monetized assholery in a way that was once reserved for morning radio jobs. What? Why did you right. play this go. first? Why didn't you play
4: this I first? I concede. I why concede. Why did you not I play con- that I, first? I, <laughs> I always I want to make concede. sure. I always want to make
2: concede. sure. I You, you don't it. need <laughs> even I, I round round to even round Round <laughs> two. smug. <laughs> I concede. You know
4: what? I do get why you didn't play it first, though. You had to make sure you could get to round three. Always got to get there. so you kept that in. No matter what. I like that. That is good strategy. My God, unbelievable!
2: My God,
4: unbelievable! A nuclear bomb, the likes of which we
2: haven't seen in a long time. Baby's a baby since the origination of Sherry.
4: Well, for his brand, it is the best ever. It is so good. It is so good. Wow. Okay, so round three is back to you, Smug.
1: All right. So this is where I'm. I'm trying to find the one that's another nuke for the knockout punch. But he's such a renaissance man. Like, there's three bangers here. There are three different sides of Tom. I'm going to go with this one. Okay. Uh, This is 1237 a.m. on January 5th. The guy's up all night. Five topics I can talk about for 30 minutes without any preparation. Number one, the Cold War. Number two, the Peloponnesian War. Number three, Robert Parker Spencer novels. Number four, nuclear strategy. Nuclear strategy. Number five, post-apocalyptic fiction. You have a guy number one. <laughs> it's like y'all saw the, that movie War Games. What was it Matthew Broderick one? He's the War Games computer and post-apocalyptic fiction in one. <laughs>
4: The <laughs> the people cry out for more Peloponnesian War takes. This is
1: this is his thoughts at twelve thirty seven a.m. He's like, listen, folks, I know how the Peloponnesian War went, and I can do nuclear strategy. Also, post apocalyptic fiction. Uh,
2: All right. Oh
0: man. Can, can I? Um, i need to file an interpleader. Oh. Oh wow.
2: Oh, interesting. Yeah, we had an interpleader before?
0: Anybody who references the Peloponnesian War deserves to lose. <laughs>
1: <Yeah>. <laughs> but in this case, win. Because they are the biggest loser. I mean, come on. Let's be serious. We all like the Peloponnesian War. It's very interesting. I like his spit. You know? I like his had it coming in the end. But still, folks. I think, I think I'm
2: going to leave you of your, of your trouble,
1: Smash.
4: Oh. oh. That's confidence.
2: It is. Because recall in, in take two uh-huh uh on december 30 i gave you max boots argument for a much more restrictive government policy mm-hmm. regardless of public opinion right and take three two days later i will give you the opposite oh my god <laughs> strict public health measures including lockdowns were needed in early 2020 when the country was being swept by a terrible new virus that nobody was vaccinated against. A more relaxed approach. Hold on. To Omicron makes sense <laughs> now with 62% of the U.S.
4: fully vaccinated. Hold on. <laughs> Hold on. So he 180'd on the whole thing.
2: In the course of a couple days. <laughs> because, because if you recall, that was the pivot of the, of the Biden right. administration. Right. right. Right? It was like, oh... No, it's not so bad. Yeah. No, now it's the moral. Like, Siliza so talked about. Now it's not a moral problem. Do
4: you think? Do you think Max Boot did the quote tweet on the Jared Polis thing, and then somebody had to DM him and send him the updated talkers?
2: <laughs> I think you know. <laughs> <laughs> it makes you feel. It makes you feel like he's just like, oh shit!
4: I gotta get it right on. This. I gotta get right. <laughs> gotta get right. <laughs> we got new talkers out. New press release, Your Honor.
0: Your Honor, Boot okay. is referencing what every lib is saying right now um, and uh, what i'd like to point out is that he didn't reference the peloponnesian war there were there were no uh outrageous
4: um outrageous. I, so some so so this isn't even an amicus brief or this isn't this is, a pleading this isn't before in, the court it's more of an interruption he is he is like a co co-counsel here over for smug i'm if you're
0: familiar with an interpleader that means that I'm aligning with smart. I look, I get it. I get it.
2: I'm confident in the substance of my argument. Oh, yeah. I won't even object.
4: Um, well, you know, like round one, these are two very different takes. The Peloponnesian War part is offensive. <laughs> it's just offensive. Um, I just think that I have to give Holmes credit for playing round two and then coming into to round three. That is a man who's developed a strategy to win this game today, and for that reason, he wins round three.
2: Wow. I appreciate it. I appreciate it. What a battle.
4: battle. I respect was a What a
1: battle. It. it was a great battle. Not even an amicus. What is this, a letter? What was it called? A buddy letter?
4: In, no, the inter- sequencing. Interpleter. Interpleter, oh, yeah. In
2: Interpleter. The sequencing was key there. It was. Yeah, it was key to the victory. All right, fellas. So here's the thing. Appreciate the victory. Let's head on to this interview. You guys are going to love this interview. Very interesting. You've seen him on every television station that you've ever watched as Dr. Oz. Now you hear him as the candidate. Let's go. I want to welcome to the program a guy whose voice you'll obviously recognize as the famous Dr. Oz, but he's now a Republican candidate for U.S. Senate in Pennsylvania. Dr. Memon
3: Oz, how are you, sir? I'm doing very well. Looking forward to this. Listen, there been man. many survivors of the program, I'm understanding. So it's a surgeon that makes you feel better.
2: <laughs> it is. It's a part of the process, as they say. It's a part of the process. But look, I mean, everybody knows you as Dr. Oz, a television doctor. Obviously, the time that you spent with Oprah and then ultimately your own show and like a million other shows, you've been all over the place for decades. I want to get under the hood a little bit because I think what a lot of people don't know. Is your medical credentials writ large, right? And where you came from, and who you are as a person—I think that's the most interesting part of building to ultimately why you want to run and why you think that you're the right person to hold this Senate seat for the people of Pennsylvania. So, so let's start. Let's start to be. You grew up in Cleveland.
3: No, actually, it's interesting that my history is an important part of why I'm running. So let me clarify this. My parents are immigrants. My dad was recruited to come to this country in the 50s because we needed more doctors. Right. Cleveland had a major medical facility, Western Reserve Cleveland Clinic. So they were bringing in foreign doctors. My dad trained there. I was born in June, which is right when the doctors shift their rotations. And so I didn't actually live in Cleveland very long, probably about four days, mostly in the hospital. I don't think I ever actually went to the home. I went right to the airport <laughs> and I grew, up, I grew up on the Delaware border with Pennsylvania. Yeah. Uh,
2: no, my, my wife's from there, from Westchester. I'm, I'm well aware. I think you went to Tower Hill, which was sort of a neighboring school of, of hers. It's, as for those of you who don't know, it's a suburb of Philadelphia, sort of on the Delaware border there.
3: And it's a beautiful place to be raised. I thought you know that was in heaven. I mean, it was wonderful growing up in an area where you had access to Philadelphia. You liked all the Philadelphia sports teams, that's for sure, which right. wasn't always good news back then. <laughs> but yeah. the but, but it was a, a bucolic existence, and it was a time in America's history where families like mine were welcomed, were able to thrive, and there was a, a lot of emphasis on, uh, on working hard to succeed. And this concept of a meritocracy, which has been dismissed. Of late was actually fundamental, I think, to the success of America in the second part of the twentieth century. It allowed us to realize that we could go anywhere we wanted if we worked hard enough. In fact, my dad never told me that I was smart, ever. <laughs> and I learned years later the reason he didn't was because if someone tells you that you're good at math, right, you're naturally good at math. did you do poorly on a math test, well, that means you're not naturally good at math. You can't change your destiny. You're, you know, it's what, it's what it is. Whereas, my if you're told, as my father told me. If you didn't do well on the math test, you didn't work hard enough. Because if you had worked hard enough, you would have done well on the test. Which, by the way, is a is a better rule for governing your life. Uh, you know, then you work harder next time. You do better in the math test. It was true in sports for me, and I played sports throughout high school and college. It was an important part of how I saw the world in front of me. And even practicing medicine, which is my my day job, right, right. Uh, was always. Uh, you know, you're always thinking about how to help the patients more. If the patient doesn't do well, you can't just write it off to fate or bad luck or you know, maybe next time. You, know, you have to figure out what you did wrong which what you can do better so yeah. that next time you have a better result. Well, that's fascinating. So one of, the, one of the things I stumbled across
2: that I thought was really interesting is that you went to Harvard for undergrad, if I'm not mistaken. You played yeah.
3: safety on the football team. I didn't know that. Who would have thought? I was 205 pounds. I had a 17-inch neck. <laughs> I, but I tell you, sports kept me sane in college. Yeah. But it also taught me something else really important. And I, I don't know if if you ever experienced it, but on, on the sideline before the game, you'd be a little nervous, you'd be pacing around, and you'd have to listen to the Star Spangled Banner because it needs to be played before you uh, engage the game. And the last word of the Star Spangled Banner always perplexed me. It was brave. And I thought it would be free or liberty or something like that. And Home of the Brave to me began to resonate. I began to realize, well, actually, that is what makes America special. We're brave. Listen, what you're doing with all the success you've had, others probably could have done it as well, but you were brave enough to actually take some steps, risk a little bit, risk a lot, and make it happen. (laughs) And I think that characterizes what an American represents to me. Someone who has vision, has an ability to work hard to achieve that vision, but especially is brave enough to act on it. And what we've seen, I think, over the last few years is an absence of bravery. Uh, We have cancel culture that puts everyone at risk. You don't want to put your livelihood at risk, so you hide. Uh, COVID brought this to the forefront where there were things done that very wise doctors arguably could say were not in the right move. They couldn't say it, and if they did, they were shot and hanged and tart tart and feathered. And so we didn't see a lot of bravery in our response. And I'm not talking about full-heartedly running into a COVID-filled room. I'm talking about being thoughtful about the cost of, of lockdowns, the, the price we paid to, to close our schools, which I was vocally against early in this pandemic and got partially oh. criticized for. Um, pushing vaccines was a very wise move, and I'm strongly in support of that. But doing that in the absence of any ther- treatments, any therapies is a mistake, which we still are making that error right now, where, where we're, amazingly, here we are in a, yet another variant of COVID, with Omicron. And yet we don't have treatments. We don't have tests. It's shocking to me. And all of this, I think is reflective of the fact that we became a monosyllabic responding public health uh, effort, which is vaccine, 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 vaccine. Now the treatment to Omicron is vaccinate younger kids, give them a booster. Are you kidding me? If you want to backstage your kids, God bless you. But we're not focusing on the problem. The problem is older people who are vulnerable getting this virus. And I don't know how much of a correlation there is between boosting 12-year-olds and preventing 80-year-olds from getting Omicron. I suspect that I'm better off giving one of the newer or Pfizer pills that we know dramatically reduces symptoms and chance of dying uh, or uh, antibody cocktails if you're especially high risk. You know, that's what I would do. That's what I am doing. But guess what? I'm calling around. I can't find any. I'm basically you know, trying to find black market products so I can help people stay alive. How is it possible that I'm doing that level of triage here we are, you know, this long after this pandemic started?
2: Yeah, no, I mean, that's the thing. I think you put your finger on something that's really interesting in the bravery context. It's, it's also the bravery to just sort of think for yourself, independent thinking, right? I mean, I, I think it's not just with covid and it's not just with sort of the liberal, progressive, elitist left. It's, it's monolithic in, in politics writ large is that there is no bravery to say which way's up and which way's down anymore, which is one of the things that I thought was so interesting about your candidacy. Clearly, you've got a great life going on. You got a, a ton of different things that you can and, and I'm sure want to do, um, and yet you're going through this process which is painful by any stretch, right? I mean, everybody says that this is, this is not fun for a person to do, but you feel like it's important. Is that sort of an extension of your view of the core of this country?
3: 100%. And I've been thinking a lot about it as I planned the shutting down of all the media opportunities that I've been blessed with. And, you know, taking your name off the awning of your show, that's yeah. a big deal. That's got <laughs> to sting a little bit, doesn't it? Oh, <laughs> it's a lot. It's called pain. It's not just a little itch. And I'm so proud of what we've been able to accomplish with the show. We've won lots of Emmy awards, saved many lives, uh, highlighted realities in America. I mean, when I started the show, 1% of the the world, of the country's yogurt consumption was Greek yogurt. Now it's over 50%. Mm. When I started the show in 2009, people couldn't spell quinoa. Now they actually eat it, right? (laughs) these are things that we put on the radar for a lot of Americans, and I'm very proud of of those accomplishments. Plus, I had a great team working their tails off to make sure that we were able to pre- present the best new information and get you excited and empower you to be take, able to take charge of your future and your health. That was all fabulous, but especially during COVID, but I was noticing it that people weren't, people didn't feel comfortable, confident that they could actually do what we're talking about. They started to feel like they're just, you know, cogs in the wheel. It's going through the motions. They didn't really have as much control over their future. They didn't have agency over what was gonna go on in their lives. And that makes you miserable. A lot of the depression and anxiety that we're seeing, especially amongst liberal Americans, is because they've lost that touch uh, with each other and the confidence that that they matter. And that's why part of what I'm trying to do with this campaign is to push us to rebuild the middle layers of American society. We're basically an atomized group of individuals pushed in every which direction, much of it endorsed by federal programs that encourage us to be atomized and, and on our own and selfish, frankly, as well. And government programs that don't push us to come together, don't uh, entice us to work, uh, don't, don't, don't get us and our kids back into a process where we're improving ourselves every single day are bad for us as individuals. And we may not realize it seems so so wonderful in the beginning, oh, they're taking care of everything for us. Not the truth. The way you live life fully is to be able and emerge and, and nurture yourself and your family is by allowing yourself and your culture the society around you to prosper and so the middle layers of society your church the 4f club the the the, the local farm stand you know the, the school the things that we have done that allow us to connect with people who are just like us are incredibly important to us as a nation mm-hmm. and we've suffocated a lot of that and that's that's pushed us in the little corners where we live in bubbles And no longer see the country as beautiful as it really is. Part of the reason I'm 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 a conservative is I'm optimistic about our country, because conservatives realize that if we can nurture us ourselves to be the best we can be, then we'll be the best citizens we can be, then we'll have the best country we can be, and nothing's gonna hold us back. But America is basically built on a piece of paper, an idea. Think how powerful that is. But as soon as you forget that reality, life gets pretty dark.
2: It does get pretty dark. One of the things I appreciate about your career and, and trajectory and now your emergence into politics is is your view that that you can basically accomplish anything if you if you give it give it your all. I, I was reading a, a story about you, um, gosh, now about 30 years ago. It, 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 you were involved, I think, in the heart transplant of Joe Torrey's brother during the 96 World Series.
3: You have a good memory. That is impressive. That was my first brush with fame.
2: Yes. <laughs> because I was going to ask you if that was the first time you got like worldwide notoriety.
3: This is out of a movie scene. So I, you know, I'm a young surgeon uh, doing most of the heart transplants. And um, I was doing heart transplants at Columbia Presbyterian in New York because their, their certificates of need rules had made it like, uh, uh, it, it created a unique experience where only institutions like ours could get the hearts. We could get a lot of hearts. <clears throat> because the scarce resource is not the patients; now lots of people dying of heart failure. You couldn't get enough donors. <clears throat> so what we did was we were able to get all these hearts streamlined into the, our in the institution. Did fantastically great uh, jobs transplanting people. And for that reason, when Joe Torrey's brother got sick, although he was living in Florida, he brought him back up to New York for us to do his transplant. So we're waiting, waiting, waiting all through the summer, and I'm watching the pennant race, and the Yankees are doing better. And I'm, you know, Yankee Stadium I can walk to literally from the hospital. I would walk to the, to the stadium and all of a sudden they get into the world series and just, just to cut it to the, to the chase. They lose the first two games. They don't have a prayer. Then they win three games in a row. It's a complete miracle. No one thinks it's impossible. The Yankees haven't been a player in 15 years. And now I get a call from the Bronx, <laughs> from the Bronx. There's a donor available. And I'm thinking, this is, out of you know. This is you no one crazy. I take the organ. I, I take Joe Torrey to the operating room, transplant him. And we watched the, seven, the, 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 fourth, the, last, the fourth victory, the last game of the World Series together in his ICU bed. Are you kidding His heart doesn't do anything crazy with all the tension of the oh, game. I was just going to say,
2: him. at a new heart, that's a lot of pressure.
3: <laughs> I know. And there's a massive press conference afterwards where, again, I've, I've done a lot of media. I've never seen anything like this. Hundreds of cameras. And video was cropped. You couldn't even walk into the hospital. All of them asking about how this is this possible? This is a miracle come true? Is it a fairy tale? How's the patient doing? What do you think about the Yankees tonight? And all this process happened. I realized the power of media. Yeah, what that's what doing right now. This conversation that we're having can influence hundreds of thousands of people, maybe millions, just because it's in a, it's delivering the material that they need to hear in a place they're willing to hear it. And then I then I began thinking instead of me taking care of patients just in the hospital, uh, which is a great and thrilling experience, much of the message that I'm trying to give would probably be useful if they could hear it at home when they could actually change their diet or their exercise program to prevent the need for me to have to open their chest with a bandsaw. And that evolved eventually into my, uh, my, my show, which is, you know, for 13 years has been able to be the number one place where people talk about health in the world, not just in this country, because we're in about hundred countries worldwide.
2: So that was the seminal moment in 96, that the heart transplant, That that's when you sort of saw what was a, a new step in your career, that you could basically help people not only in the hospital, but as being a part of a media figure.
3: And in New York, you had access to all the major media links. So they they called you and you showed up, you could articulate why this new report was important. Now, in fairness, this was not my, my plan. It was never on my vision board to do television. My wife, remember those Visine commercials with the bloodshot yeah. eyes? are yeah. my eyes. Oh, no way. Really? That's why I was in New York, really, because she wanted to be an actor. So we came up to New York and, you know, raising the family. We've got four kids and she's trying to act. And meanwhile, she's saying, you know, stop complaining about the fact that patients don't know what to do to avoid heart disease. Start talking about it in media the same way that you could articulate to America why Frank Torrey's heart transplant was at the dawn of a new age where we can actually replace a lot of organs with great success go out and do that about cholesterol or blood pressure or anxiety whatever issues are holding people back and that opened my eyes to a whole different way of communicating that's what this campaign in many ways is about because when you're ready for senate i can talk to people one by one by one and i do i mean every single day i'm you know, di- di- traveling different counties in the state they're 67 there's a lot of traveling to do but you can also go on television once in a while, which I try to do, and articulate why I'm so frustrated about our mismanagement of COVID or why the jobs program is failing, or why inflation is mortgaging our kids' future. How is it possible they're flying illegal aliens into Pennsylvania airports, not telling anybody? These are all, by the way, all real tales. Yeah. I can talk about them in a way that gives you confidence that you know what's going on and optimism that we can address it. And that's the one-two punch. I don't I never want to be a downer where I'm just whining about the problems we're having. Others can do that well. What I try to be- (laughs) We got plenty of that, doc. (laughs) (laughs) If you can empower people with information and with confidence, they can change the world around them. You got a pretty good cocktail for success.
2: Yeah, it's really interesting. I mean, so, so if 96 is sort of where you begin viewing this media projection of what you'd already done because you have patents, you have medical devices, you've got, I mean, your medical credentials are just unbelievable. You get into TV, you you you're, as we just discussed, all kinds of success in that. The moment comes that you are entering the political arena, which is an entirely separate, completely divorced life for you than the one that you'd lived up to this point. Was COVID that moment for you
3: where you thought, I really got to get into this? COVID represented a central moment for me because what I realized is that people with you know, more credentials than me and the government didn't actually have it figured out.
2: Yeah. And yeah. I think for a lot of us, that was astonishing.
3: It's a scary moment because you're sitting there thinking, well, geez, this guy's been doing this for a long time. Fauci as an example. And he should know what he's talking about. And then you're getting diametrically opposite advice continually. And then you're actually being shut down when you offer opinions that you think have worth. And even if you disagree with my opinion, you ought to at least hear it through before you dismiss it. And they would do this, forget about me, they were doing it until Nobel laureates. Yeah. And then I began thinking, if we have so catastrophically mismanaged COVID, where people literally are dying in front of us, is it also happening in the economy? Are we mismanaging our school systems? What about law and order and criminal justice issues? Are these all the same catastrophes that we're witnessing in public health with COVID? And I began to look into it more and more over the last two years and realize, yeah. And then here's the question, what are you going to do about it? And this gets back to that concept of braveness. Mm-hmm. I can whine and moan about it. I can hide. I can do my show, make a lot of money, and you know, pretend I'm making a difference. Or I can say, you know what, let's do what's cathartic, let's do what actually matters. Toss it all, free yourself from all the burdens of worldly possessions, right? Because you get rid of your everything that makes you money, do you sort of feel like that and just go forward? You know, it's very cleansing because no matter what people say, and there are many who criticize me. Um, and when they say that, that doesn't sting because I'm not trying to protect anything from them. I'm just trying to do the best I can to help our country achieve what I know is in its DNA because I witnessed it for most of my life. Yeah. And if others do the same as I'm doing, which is primarily just say what you see, just be brave enough to shoot straight. That's all I'm asking people. You'll see a, a, rena- a renaissance of thought in America. A lot of Republicans, and I meet so many every single day, I'm, you know, that's what I'm doing, campaigning for the primary voters. Uh, many of them just feel like they have been censored.
2: Well, in, in some cases, they have have quite literally, right? I mean, that, that's one of the questions that I've had is it, for somebody who has basically mastered the media domain for as long as you have and understands the power of messaging and now the power of, of social media and everything, how worried are you about some of these platforms beginning to execute basically what you just described, Fauci and the medical establishment doing during COVID, but for far broader purposes of shutting down conservative thought.
3: Uh, I'm not worried about it. I'm witnessing it. I'm yeah. observing it. And this is the, the, the true tragedy is what, what Fauci did. And that's really clear about this. He didn't just ignore bad advice that he thought what he thought was bad advice. He went after the people who were trying to give advice to America to shut them down, to other them. So he would work with media and say, let's call these guys fringe actors. Mm -hmm. Let's make sure everyone thinks that they're charlatans or snake oil salesmen. I mean, I've heard those phrases, you know, applied to really accomplished physicians and and health leaders. And just for saying, Hey, wait a minute, this is, the best one size fits all. Is that really the best way to treat COVID when you've got a thousandfold difference in, in complications between an old person and a young person? aren't Isn't there a difference that we should be arbitraging and taking advantage of and protecting kids in school, but not shutting those schools down? That's the kind of thing we're talking about. So that process, that government authoritarianism, which did not make us safer. Let me emphasize that. When people with big backyards send people with no backyards indoors where the virus is and tell them not to leave close the parks, close the beaches, shame you if you go to a park, right? Then you're actually creating a problem. You're making it worse for those people. Even if you're sitting in your suburban house, you know, sipping tequila. And that's what we witnessed. And so I'm actually concerned that it's not stopping with health. It's dramatically shifted our nation's tolerance for censorship. And we're seeing it across the board now. We're seeing public figures saying, I'm out. I'm not, I'm I'm getting off YouTube. I'm leaving Facebook. I'm, you know, you know, these are places where I, I, I fight my battles there. Recently, the Philadelphia Inquirer, God bless them, my hometown paper. (laughs) um, I was when I announced I was campaigning. They called me Doctor Oz running for Senate. They took away the doctor. They got so much hate mail about people didn't want me to be a doctor. They took away my doctor. I mean, are you kidding me? Yeah, literally, they took the no more Doctor Oz. I'm just Oz. Wait, 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 really? Are
2: you serious? They actually removed the doctor. From Dr. Oz,
3: they wrote an article how they were doing it, and they have not called me Dr. Rossis.
2: You've got to, I mean, that, that that's just that's like 1984 type stuff, right? There,
3: I get I know they're putting the thumb on the scale. They don't like what they said literally was it's an unfair advantage to me that I'm a doctor. What are you talking about? I'm a doctor. I, so I worked hard for that. I take care of patients. I invented yeah, I lives, and now you're taking my doctor away because you think it's not fair that I'm a doctor and you're not. Are you kidding me? How about yeah. Dr. Joe Biden?
2: Yeah, no, I, I, I bet Frank Torrey felt pretty good about that unfair advantage back in
3: 1996. But the reason I bring it up is, so they have a quarter million Facebook followers. Right. right. I have six million. Yeah. So I went after them. And sure enough, like clockwork, guess what happens? Facebook says, you know what? We're not going to let you advertise anymore. R- why? Not answering you. But what did I do wrong? I, no, not Nothing. So I waited, I tolerated, waited for a day. Now, by the way, if this happened for half an hour, I'd be okay with it. This is now going to the second day. So what do you do? You either pull back and apologize for doing nothing wrong and get back on Facebook advertising, or you do what I did, which is go on Hannity yeah. and blow him out of the water. And sure enough, a couple hours later, hey, you guys back on again. No, no, no harm, no foul, no blood. You know? <laughs> what are you talking about? Why did I have to do that? If it wasn't me, what was going to happen?
2: Yeah, right. If you didn't have the capability of going on, Hannity, how long does that stay? Right.
3: Yeah. Until you're dead. Yeah. And that's what we're seeing over and over again. That's why this authoritarian overreach that we got comfortable with during COVID, which maybe for a couple of weeks made sense, but definitely not for two years, is something that we've got to push back on aggressively as conservatives.
2: Yeah. No, I completely agree with you. Listen, Dr. Oz, I got three big questions for you that we ask. Every single guest on here. And this is where everybody listens, right? Everybody it. on the
3: program has to do these questions.
2: Yeah. Everybody on the program and all of the <laughs> listeners, everybody pays real attention to it. Cause these are the, there's no wrong answers, but there are inauthentic answers and those are, are are wrong answers. So here's the first question. If you could plan your last meal on earth, what would it be?
3: Maybe a lightly sauteed slice of cauliflower. I mean, come on! No, I'm kidding. I'm, I'm, <laughs> what a horrible answer! No, the truth. So I'm going to say this. I'm a heart surgeon, right? And okay. I don't, and I admitted this publicly. But there's no question about it. Barbecue, especially yeah. barbecue short ribs. I love them. I like that they got the right amount of fat. I like pulling it off the bone. I like wet sauce. That's exactly what I would have, and a lot of it.
2: Yeah. Well, it's your last meal, right? So you're not really worried about the ticker at that point. You okay. can oh. slide in sideways for all you care. <laughs> <laughs> I love that. All right, so this question's a little bit different because it usually pertains to politicians. You're new at this. Um I'm going to expand it a bit. If you never got into the media component of your career, um you'd have a lot of time to deal with. What do you think you'd want to be doing with your life?
3: I've always adored football. Huh. I, That's no, great. I mean I I got up in the morning every day I thought about it. It wasn't just the sports of it. It was learning about yourself in very unique ways. That's why I always had my kids play different sports with me. But if I wasn't doing what I do now, uh, I'd be involved in football. You know, I would have wanted to have played in the pros. I don't, I wasn't good enough. Um, I would have, I like coaching. I understand. I mean, I always call the plays. We have family football continually. Every holiday, you know my social media feed, you see the pictures. The kids have no choice. They have to play. They love it too, I think. Yeah, but they would never admit it. They're they not going to
2: tell you if they don't.
3: I don't always you know, go <laughs> charting the plays on my chest. You know, I'm, okay, I'm the belly button. Uh, you know, you're the right nipple. You're going to go deep flag pattern. Uh, you know, you do the down and out next time, down, out, and up. You, you know, it's that kind of mind games that you play with your team and the other team that makes the game so much fun. I, I think love it's, that. The reason it's America's pastime.
2: Are you a big Eagles guy? Oh, my
3: goodness. I mean, and you they are. Made the playoffs. Classy, right? They made the playoffs. I go to the games. And it's unbelievable to witness this team has a remarkable ability, and I don't. You know, it, it takes you up, it takes you down. The roller coaster of life is epitomized with being an Eagles fan. Yeah, and yeah. I was at the Super Bowl when they beat the Patriots. I went with the 76 years team, so Joel Embiid and I are jumping on each other when they run the Philly special to score at the end of the first half. But uh, I, I, but the Eagles are a pretty good example of what uh, a, a city like Philadelphia desperately needs. That you need to be able to cheer for the hometown team, and it is incredibly healthy.
2: To be able to do that, yeah, I agree. Listen, I'm a Vikings fan, Doc, and so my roller coaster just goes down. It just (laughs) down.
3: (laughs) When I was growing up, the Vikings had great teams. I know the owners of the Vikings who are are doing their best, and they, you know, they they get so close. But having the Packers that division messes with your head.
2: Yeah, well, the Wolves are a great family. They're doing the right thing. It's just a tough luck deal. That's NFL football for you, though. All right, I got three. I got a third question for you. And this one it takes a little explanation. It's about what goes to motivate you. And generally speaking, people on two poles of motivation are either motivated by the thrill of victory or the agony of defeat. Thrill of victory is the sunny optimist charging up the hill, always you know searching for a brighter day. Agony of defeat is like the Michael Jordan type character, right? Where any loss that they've had at any point in their life, they, live, they wear like a backpack and carry with them every day and ensure that everything they're working towards is to never replicate that experience, right? So those are the two poles. I'm sincerely interested, Dr. Oz, where do you find yourself on this spectrum?
3: I love the struggle. (laughs) I love being right in between the two, knowing that you detest with every ounce of, of your body losing and realizing how beautiful and sunny it is when you win but I never celebrate the victories because I'm onto the next struggle right afterwards. Yeah. If you had to describe me, I'm definitely a glass half full guy. I'm always finding solutions out of crises, but it's the struggle that I really thrive with. I like being in the middle of the battle. That's why I'm, I'm loving this campaign because it's like drinking from a fire hose. They're coming at you in so many different directions. You literally can't tell if you're winning or losing. It's that quick. <laughs> and when it does, and you, you live in the business, you see it. I think it's why you know, political folks become junkies because There are not many places in the world where you can be literally doing both at the same time. (laughs) And if if you did win, it's not going to be for very long. So it just sort of keeps you going. But if you like the struggle, which I think a lot of the archetypes that define human history, the the stories in the Bible, the the tales that your family probably has, it's much about the struggle. It's how did we get here? And and what is it that allowed us to, to, to succeed when it shouldn't have happened? And, and what are the things that would allow us to grasp defeat from the jaws of victory? Cause that's out there as well. Yeah. You know, don't, don't mess it up. That was always the mantra before I walked out to show every day, the executive producers, they worked so hard to prepare the show. They'd say, don't F it up. <laughs> <laughs> they were serious.
2: Yeah, They were serious. <laughs> they were serious. Listen, Dr. Oz, where can uh, people find you if they want to help you out? Doctor, Thanks for asking oh, Dr. Oz.
3: Yeah. So droz.com is our website. It's a, it's a pretty popular site. I, I took all my social feeds that I've had over the years. I've got about 13 million folks following. So join us on Facebook and Twitter and Instagram and uh, TikTok I and mean, we're, we're everywhere and we try to share what's really going on in my life. So it's, it's, it's personal, but frankly, politics is personal. And listen, I love being with this. I tell you, you have got a real talent for this. I, I actually, you know, my team had me you know, check you out a little bit and listen and get comfortable with what's, what you do, but you've got a great cadence to what you do. Kudos Oh, it's nice
2: of you to say, listen, coming from you, I'll take that as the highest compliment I've had on this show. So I, I really appreciate, listen, doc, you, you put together a great team, very serious candidacy, good luck and stay in touch.
3: God bless you. Take care.
2: Take care. So, I mean, look, we're going to have to see how this campaign we've, we, I think we've now interviewed every single Republican primary candidate in Pennsylvania. Right. Um, so we've got a, a breadth of, of candidates for you all to sort of understand and listen to. I found this interview sort of fascinating in many ways. The the most was that he is running for all of the reasons why I have anxiety today. Right? Right. Like, he, 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 he's got a lot of great... I mean, this is a, a very wealthy man who's done incredible things. He's a top-notch surgeon. He's a... You know, he's got an incredible TV show. He doesn't need this. Right. He doesn't need this. But what he articulated for why he was running, I thought was pretty compelling.
4: Yeah. And the guy understands media, you know. And, um, you know, having somebody like that in the race, I think is it is compelling. And look, look, we want to do this everywhere. Like, we, you know, if you're running for Senate... Um, you know, in a, a race that's going to help us win back the majority, yeah, we're gonna, we're going to want to talk to you. So I, I'm just, you know, I'm I'm glad that we've got candidates like this who are willing to step up and come on the on the old variety program. And he seems like he likes the program.
2: He likes the program. He listens to the program. I love. I mean, Doctor Rouse, this guy's a legend. He listens to the program.
4: Yeah, I mean, can you blame it? And
1: again, like I said, this is the first stop on the campaign trail. He do ruthless, and then he can. Hopefully run a successful campaign. You're going to see it all through the primaries. We have all the candidates on. And we're going to have all the presidential candidates on. I'm calling it right now. So until next time, minions, keep the faith, hold the line, and own the libs. We'll see you on Tuesday. Stay ruthless.